Hi friends and welcome to another episode of Without the Footnotes, not your typical Holocaust lecture. I hope everybody is well and has had a great week. Um, I'm going to keep the intro really short and sweet this week because I have a guest, Eva, my friend Eva, who was on um, the podcast in the first series speaking about the the Third Reich. Um, She's back and we're going to discuss about Germany and reparations post-Holocaust and the current situation, as some of you may have seen in the news um, about Namibia and Germany kind of taking responsibility for its colonial past. So I just thought that on this week's episode, we would discuss a bit about that because I find that I don't really know that much about the topic. To me, to me, it looks like Germany is one of the, let's say, only countries that really owns up to the bad stuff that it may have done. So we're just going to discuss a little bit about that today. And I've asked I've asked Eva to come back because she is German and I feel like she's more informed on the topic than I am. So I hope you enjoy the episode and yeah, let's crack on. So you may have seen on the news this week about how Germany and Namibia are in talks regarding the Herero and Nama genocide. And to start off with, I just wanted to read a quote from BBC News. It's an article that I read. So in quote, since 2015, when Germany formally formally acknowledged that the atrocities constituted genocide, it has been negotiating a restorative justice deal with Namibia that will set a global president. Never before has a former colonial power sat down with a former colony in this way to work out a comprehensive agreement about the legacy of the past. And a formal apology is going to be made. I think they've already decided on that. But right now, the discussion surrounds what the reparations will be, so the material compensation. And reading about this got me thinking... How has Germany done this previously in response to the Holocaust and what does restorative justice look like or what can it look like post-Holocaust? So I think outwardly Germany can be used as an example of of a nation that has somewhat faced its history and has acknowledged the atrocities that it's perpetrated. But I want to go behind the scenes a bit and take a look at what Germany has actually done post-Holocaust and whether that can be deemed as a sufficient response to genocide. So given the severity of the crime, has what Germany actually done been yeah sufficient so Eva thank you for coming on the podcast again and allowing me to pick your brains as I think that you as a German are much more informed on this subject um given that you've grown up around it and yeah as I said like outwardly it looks like Germany's done somewhat has done a good job do you know what I mean yeah I totally totally know yeah (laughs) um so I think firstly, like what I wanted to ask you is what actually happened post-Holocaust? Like how did, how, or as a German, like what do you grow up understanding that Germany has done regarding the Holocaust and like how they've like treated survivors or what they've done in, in like, in terms of reparations? Well, actually it's not like you learn a lot about that whole post-war reparation process mm-hmm. in school or something. Like that. It's, it's not like that. It's, it's not like common knowledge. 
I'd say. Um, you really have to be um, interested in the topic, I think. So you really have to inform yourself a bit. Um, but yeah, in general, um, it, 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 in the beginning, it was very much initiated by, by the Allied forces, okay. of course. Yeah. Because, um, so yeah, it was not a, a German idea as such. So the Americans actually passed the first restitution law Mm -hmm. for Germany um, and Germany then later incorporated that into its own federal law um, but in the beginning that that came from the Americans and of course it was the allied forces who were claiming reparations like for themselves um, okay so wait maybe because I don't know about that so like what do you mean they were claiming it for themselves they... uh, well because I mean yeah reparations is also I mean, it's an umbrella term, right? And it's yeah. a very big umbrella because there are very different kinds of reparations or restitution. So there are war reparations mm -hmm. um, or there are like, I don't know, sometimes there ha has to be some legal rehabilitation that has to happen if someone had his citizenship or academic degrees revoked. Um, people need to be compensated for loss of health, loss of freedom, loss of assets properties and these are all very different kinds yeah. of things mm -hmm. that need different approaches um and also i think like reparations are also just a mirror of their times and and this and this restitution law that have has been passed in germany in, in 1947 mm -hmm. um was also um just a law of its time for example, and, and, and it has evolved um, just as society and political views have evolved. So, for example, um, the law said that, um, let me look that up, um, people were eligible who were being persecuted um, for racial, political, religious and ideological reasons. So that excluded, for example, homosexuals. Okay. But homosexuality was still a crime in Germany in the 50s and 60s mm -hmm. um, so of course it wasn't seen as a crime as such and um, also it was just very much up for discussion like what is a Nazi injustice what is a war crime and what is just like collateral damage what what what, it, what, what are just things that happen during war yeah so for example forced laborers weren't eligible until like <laughs> way into the 90s because forced labor was seen as something that was just normal during a during war. war okay so yeah. so in terms of people being yeah being owed reparations by the state if you if you had been forced to work against your will you couldn't apply for any kind of reparation before the 1990s yeah Exactly. If, if, if you were not a German citizen, and, and this was another thing, because this whole law was based on territorial principles. Yeah. So at that time, you either had um, to live in then Western Germany mm -hmm. or, um, or um, that you had to have lived in then <laughs> Germany 
um, like inside the borders of 1937, it's super complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, so for example, if you were Polish or from Ukraine or whatever, you were just not eligible anyway. Yeah, because I was just going to say because uh, the majority of the Holocaust was perpetrated outside of Germany. So all the people that would that may have been subject, for example, to forced labor, then they can't make a case with the German government because they weren't inside the territory. Yes, yes. Right. Also, if you if, if, if you were a Polish Jew, for example, mm-hmm. you, you couldn't make any claims. It was, yeah, it was just restricted to German territory. Um, so, and, and but yeah, th- this also had very complicated reasons that I don't think we have to um, go in here now. They also, I mean, this also had just to do with, with the Cold War that was going yes, on at that yeah, time. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it it's not just like Germany just didn't want to, but it also had a lot to do with the Allied forces and mm-hmm. whatever. Um, but yeah, a lot of people were excluded from that law. And um, so this was just Western Germany. Now we're just talking about Western Germany, but of course there was also the GDR um, at that time and, and until 1990 and um, reparations in the GDR, for example, actually meant exclusively reparations paid to the Soviet Union. So- Oh, okay. <laughs> So it's never actually been because my understanding really of um, of reparations is that Germany is now essentially like paying money to Holocaust survivors. That's kind of like my understanding of it. So when I think about uh, restorative justice in terms of the Holocaust, I just think that, okay, I mean, it's not something that I really have to look into, but like if you are a Holocaust survivor and I suppose you prove that you are, then the government will there's some kind of monetary aid that is given to you? That has been the case to some extent. So I think um, until 1990, around 50 billion euros um, were paid by the state to Holocaust survivors in Germany. 50 billion. Mm -hmm, 50 billion. So I think around 1 million people received either a one-time payment or monthly payments for the rest of their lives. Right. So this happened, and then there there was a law that also regulated um, private property restitutions. So German citizens who just took I don't know <laughs> property of Jewish people um, had to give it back. This happened in in like the first ten twenty years. Yeah. Um, but that was just really restricted to to German territory and to German Jews, for example. Right. Yeah. Um, and also, it, I, I think it was pretty bureaucratic, and um, some people actually called it a second persecution. So I think it must have been really hard at times because you had to prove like what you have been robbed of, what had been done to you, um, the extent to which you suffer from physical, psychological issues. And um, yeah, that's, of course, hard to prove sometimes. And also those people didn't have documents for a lot of... Yeah, I was going to say, because like how... I know, I've known some stuff about Poland and how difficult it is there to get, um, let's say, um, to try and get your property back or your family property. But like if your whole life has been destroyed, if all your documents have been destroyed, if 
all of your family members have been murdered like how do you prove that you once lived there or or that this has happened to you I mean you have some survivors that didn't can't didn't even really know where they were let's say you're in a camp you were sent east and you're in a camp somewhere and then that camp gets destroyed and then there's no documentation or anything so then how can you actually prove that you were sent to a concentration camp do you know what I mean so it's all like very very complicated but like do you in in your opinion like do you think that you know because they're like with something like genocide like you do have to have legal and uh, bureaucratic processes that you know that allow you to give out reparations so like I think it's a very difficult and complex thing to address but like do you think that Germany in that respect has really tried to um kind of like atone for for the holocaust do you think that that, do you think it's like a sufficient way to approach it or do you think it's just kind of something that's been forced upon do you know what I mean yeah said that it started with the allies so like exactly and 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 I think that's pretty representative um in general for the way um that Germany has dealt with with reparations or restitutions like like it it has been done only when it when 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 there was some kind of pressure Mm -hmm. um I mean, also, also later, I mean, we can get into that also um, regarding forced labor, um, and and it was all always just a bit of that too little, too late, you know, um, because it, yeah, until the until 1990 it was super hard anyway, um, yeah. but also just because of yeah the whole political situation in general in Europe at the time, but. Um, yeah, for, for, for example, in, in the, the GDR didn't even see itself as a successor of the Third Reich. Mm-hmm. They were like this newborn anti-fascist state. It had nothing to do with it. So they just denied any responsibility. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you were a Jewish person who had a business in East Berlin before the war, you had no chance um, to make any claims. Like this was completely useless because Western Germany didn't have any access in Eastern Germany or the GDR was just saying, we have nothing to do with that. Right, okay. Um, so there was actually, but but this is also just the first phase. So there was a second phase um, or, or just really a new wave actually of, of reparation payments um, after 1990s, so after the reunification of Germany and the end of the Cold War. And um, because in the 90s and at that time, also um, people from Eastern European countries could receive payments now. And of course, they made their claims. And there were a lot of lawsuits filed actually against German companies suddenly, mainly in the US. Um, So the pressure was rising again. um, And the whole issue with forced labor really got public attention for the first time. Um, and so there, and, 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 and this also is an example for, for what I mean, um, when I say it has always just been done when the pressure was really mounting. Yeah. Um, because at that time, then there was a foundation founded, the, um, the Stiftung Erinnerung Verantwortung Zukunft. <laughs> uh, uh, remembrance responsibility future if you okay. want to translate it literally um 
And so this was founded for one specific reason, um, to allocate payments to forced laborers um, by the German state. Specifically just forced labor. Yeah, specifically. But this only happened because the companies were promised that if they pay their dues now, um, they would be immune to any legal claims in the future. And that and that would that would be like a one off payment to someone who'd been forced to work. Yeah. And yeah. You know, and then like that... there, there could never be never be file a lawsuit against them. Ever. So if you if you were a Holocaust survivor and you accepted that payment, you could never after the fact then be like, well, actually, it's not sufficient, and you you can't you couldn't then bring a case like against them. Yeah. Yes, and that's why they did it, I think. Because, as I said, at that time in the U.S., a lot of lawsuits were filed suddenly. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so, like, they really were facing a, a problem. Um, and so there was this foundation, and I think around 6,500 German companies paid into this um, pool. And also the German state. And then it was distributed um, to former forced laborers worldwide. So, because this is always something that's really interesting to me, is the fact that obviously the, obviously Germany and like specifically German companies, it was just not, it's not confined just to Germany, but like there must have been tons of businesses and companies that profited from the Holocaust and all the forced labor that there was. Cause I think there was like, at one point, um, cause the, the concentration camp system was used for different things at different times, but we know that it was used for forced labor. And there was around, I think it's that they've calculated that it's like four and a half thousand camps within the whole system. So who was pro- profiting off this work and what does that mean like because I find this really interesting like what does that mean today because we we now have companies that still exist specifically because of the holocaust and and the work that was done for free by people who were enslaved in the system yeah and that, how, how, I mean how do you like how how does the country like reconcile with that or is it just it's like common knowledge, but nobody talks about it. It's not common knowledge. Okay. And nobody talks about it. Okay. So <laughs> I think like, I mean, most German companies that existed before World War II and still exist today were involved in forced labor. There are, it, it's not like there are that many exceptions. Um, mm-hmm. Many of them really even running their own concentration camps. Um so considering like the sheer amount of companies that that applies to, or or um, they were Aryanized. So Aryanization was the process where um, Aryan Germans just took over companies and businesses of Jewish people. So mm. it's one of those two options for many German companies today. And um, yeah, yeah. Like considering the amount of companies that this applies to, I think um, it's really fair to say that this is a totally neglected topic. And I don't know. I think sometimes it, it's funny. You 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 just see them celebrating their 100 year anniversary or whatever, and you're like, yeah, but it wasn't you founded that company, right? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So like, do you think it's like 
I don't know, people like you and me would maybe think about those kinds of things, but like the general public, that's just not something that's acknowledged. Yeah, it's also really not known. But then I think it's really not if, known. If companies were Aryanized or, I mean, if there were so many companies involved in this forced labor, like how could it not be known? Like for instance, I'm from the UK, I'm British, I'm aware of, our colonial past and the, the effect that that has and what that means for like my country like it wouldn't I wouldn't be I wouldn't be like oh I just I, I don't know how we've you know got I don't know how there's a commonwealth like do you know what I mean like I'm aware that from colonial like we've profited from colonialism does that make sense yeah like it, it, I, it seems like yeah. a bit of a, a a bit of a disconnect for me for people just to be like oh we're just not aware of it like we just don't know but there were thousands and thousands and thousands of camps and so many businesses that were involved in this forced labor so like how is it not common knowledge i really can't tell you why i i think maybe maybe it is just because it was so normal mm -hmm. that like who who would you even accuse everyone like, yeah. where, where, where are we even starting, <laughs> you know? So it doesn't make any sense at all. Like, why why even start? Um, it's yeah. just basically everyone. So um. <laughs> do you think, maybe do you think that Germany, like Germ also that in some asset aspects, because of like how awful the Holocaust was, like people just, they just choose not to acknowledge, like it's a it's a pain point. So it's just like, that's over now, let's just move forward with like where we're at. Because obviously, like you've mentioned also about the fact that um, you had the Cold War straight afterwards. And then, so then yeah. it hasn't really been that long that let's say that we've got like modern Germany. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that was just the attitude in general anyway, mm -hmm. just looking ahead. Like we have a country to rebuild and um, let's just look into the future. The yeah. past is over. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I think in the beginning, that was very much the attitude. Um, and then there was the so-called Wirtschaftswunder. Mm -hmm. So the economic miracle when Germany really, like the economy really um, was doing very well in the 50s already. Mm -hmm. So only like 10 years later. And um, I don't know, like I'm, I'm, I'm seeing that a bit critical also because if you know <laughs> all of that like who has profited like all the companies that have profited um they didn't lose any money during second world war they earned a fortune um all the all the robbed property from jewish people and whatever like so where is this economic miracle coming from is it really a miracle you know mm -hmm. um is it really the germans working so hard um yeah considering there was a world war and the devastation that that would have i mean what number one the cost and the devastation that that caused how do you come out with a booming economy so soon exactly but there are many examples for that for example um if if, if you just take deutsche bahn so the german railway mm -hmm. company um and we all know that like the reichsbahn so the um, the company that has existed before 
yeah. um, was responsible for all the deportations and they made the SS pay for it. They didn't do it for free. Mm -hmm. The SS paid for every person and it was um, four pfennige, mm -hmm. so cents um, per, per capita and per um, kilometer. But they gave discount um, if if there were a lot of people. So for a minimum of 400 people, you would only pay like two cents. So of course, the SS was smart. And, you know, I mean, we all know what happened. <laughs> um, and so they really amassed a fortune during that time. And mm -hmm. all they ever did was, yes, they acknowledged their moral responsibility. Mm -hmm. um, they are supporting um, institutions like Yad Vashem, the Israeli Holocaust Memorial um, Center financially, but they never ever paid any reparations, restitutions. Um, for example, the French and the Dutch railway companies um, did that in recent years. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, not, not in Germany. And for example, if you just look at that railway company, you know, like at, at the end of World War II, they were not poor. <laughs> they were doing really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's amazing to think that um, just how com how complicated it all is, actually. Like we're, we're in an ideal world, like we like to think that, of course, like reparations and reconciliation and all of that is should be at the forefront. But it's actually logistically, it's, it's crazy. Like to think, like I know that there were some um, like... There are some instances where people had to pay for their own train ticket to be deported. So it's like all of those, like it's crazy levels if you think about what somebody could claim reparations for. Yeah, or the SS paid for the train tickets with the rock properties yeah. of those yeah, people. Yeah, for exactly. So it's totally perverted. And um, yeah, I mean, there were there there were. A lot of Jewish fashion um, houses in Berlin before World War II, and of course they were Aryanized, um, all of them, and many of those um, people were sent to concentration camps, and they just took the sewing machines, mm -hmm. the Nazis, and sent the sewing machines also to concentration camps, so people could, like, yeah, do forced labor and sew for Hugo Boss, for example. Yeah. Um, so it's just a very perverted system anyway yeah definitely like that that the idea of that I don't know if, like for some reason like that just freaks me out the fact that people would be deported and then they send the sewing machines behind them and then they're just they're just in a camp like sewing away and then sending back all of this stuff back to Germany and like just this I don't know. It's like in Auschwitz when they have the huge warehouses full of people's stuff and they and all of that just gets shipped back to Germany for anybody. So someone ends up wearing somebody's coat. Like, do you know what I mean? Like that that kind of connection, like, I don't know. I find it very freaky, but it, ooh, I don't it know. makes you sick. Yeah, it's. But yeah, for just just speaking of that foundation I talked about, mm -hmm. um, for the forced labors. Um, 
all the companies who um, were adding to that pool of money, mm-hmm. like all the payments, they, they were just coming in little by little and just very slowly and they just took their time and um, had to be asked again and again and again. And so I think the last, the, the final payment was just made in 2007. And if you think about how old those people were, yeah, like... It was just too late. Yeah. A lot of them had died already. And most of them were Eastern Europeans who really lived in in poverty for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's just really, really tragic. Yeah, really tragic. And that just shows, and, and I think that just shows like they're doing the minimum. They're just doing the bare minimum. And only the minute they're really, really forced to do so. Yeah. And 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 I think it's just the the amount of damage that has been done all over Europe um, that asks for reparations exactly. that makes it seem like like there has been a lot done. Yeah, because I always and you and also like when you see in the news, like you always hear about how there's a discussion, like even during the pandemic, there's been discussion discussions around should Germany provide like more aid to Holocaust survivors because of because we're going through a pandemic at the moment. So it seems to be like, I don't know, from for, for what I've read and what I've seen, it seems to be from the outside, like this is some kind of like ongoing discussion where Germany really is trying its best to continue to, to um, like take responsibility for the Holocaust. But like, it doesn't sound like that's really the case. It just sounds like unless there's a lot of pressure, then really everyone's just kind of carrying on like oh it's just it's just over which is really interesting to me that now that they're they're opening well they've opened talks since 2015 with Namibia because like the quote that I started the episode with is like it's the first colonial power to do this so I'm just like again like it seems like Germany's at the forefront of something quite pioneering because like a lot of genocides have happened around the world and like the countries or the the perpetrators don't pay rep- reparations or even acknowledge the, uh, the fact that a genocide has been perpetrated. So, like, I like, do you have any idea why Germany feels like they they should be doing like they should be sorting out what they did in Namibia now? Like, it seems a bit, I don't know. It it seems like if if. Or if all of the stuff to do with the Holocaust comes from like pressure, like why then open discussions with Namibia? I think, it, I mean, it, in some sense, it also, I mean, it is pioneering. Yes, it is the first country to do that. And mm-hmm. I think um, that also can just be acknowledged mm-hmm. like that. But um, I think a lot of that has to do with. Um, it also was the same with the Holocaust, actually, because um, in Germany, we also have a special word for reparations. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it's actually quite telling because it, it's Wiedergutmachung, which if you translate it literally means like Make making it good, good again. again. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think it's also a lot about like making yourself good again you know right um, okay um i think i think like the whole terminology is really interesting because like we are making ourselves good again like we want to be good people again and um 
and that's it. But like that, that, that would be my my explanation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean that. I mean that totally makes sense. Um, and I do think it. I do think it is commendable to open that conversation around colonialism because we do like. I know specifically from politicians from the UK, they just want it to stay, they want all of that just to stay in the past and like you're kind of just told to get over it when it's just like, actually, no, like if you do, and I will put the link to the the article that I read in the show notes, but if you read about what it is that the Herero and Nama people want, like they want their land back, they want, you know, they want um, reparations in a sense of being able to, build their lives on the same level as the German settlers and and the generations that have come after that, what they experience is very different to the Herero and Nama people because they suffered a genocide and they want, they just want reparations so that they can, yeah, live to the same level as what was, like how people have profited off off of them. Um, And I really don't see that as a, I mean, have no idea how much money that would require from the German government and like obviously if we look at the UK they're gonna have to pay a lot of countries reparations um but it's definitely it's not an unfeasible conversation to have yeah and I and I think that's actually uh, I mean that's a good thing about reparations as such because um it's a very practical, concrete thing mm-hmm. if you look at it like that. Like if it's really like giving someone something back you took from them or um, or paying for damage that has been done, paying for health issues. Um, so whatever that is. But it's a very um, concrete way, I think, of mm-hmm. paying your dues. It's, it's not a punishment and it shouldn't be. It's... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, and it's also like it can't make up for anything that has been done. Mm-hmm. I think some people are actually opposed against reparations because they feel like, oh, and then you're whitewashing yourself. Right. Um, yeah, like you now you can like absolve yourself from any kind of guilt or whatever. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that was the discussion, for example, in Israel in in, in the fifties mm-hmm. when Germany offered a one-time payment. Right. Um, that the Israeli government was actually really opposed to it, except for Ben Gurion. <laughs> um, and there were a lot of discussions. Yeah, exactly about that. Yeah. Um, but I think if you really use it, yeah, in that, as I said, like in that practical way, um, then I think it can be a good thing. And for example, in, yeah, as you said, in, in Namibia, if it would be invested in buying land back, in um, building infrastructure and just, yeah, just stuff like that, then then it could be a really, really good thing. Yeah, definitely. Even though there are, of course, like, I mean, it's a totally different situation because in Germany it was about people who were still alive. Yeah, um, I was just about to say. We're making well. claims. And I think that that's maybe also the difference that, it, that, that it, it's a bit more indirect, right? In, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because there's, yeah, there's um, specifically with the Holocaust, like you mentioned, like people perhaps only receiving some kind of reparation when they've, their quality of life has been missed. Like they, they have already reached the end of their lives or they've even passed away and they don't get to actually profit from the fact that, you know, this country has faced its history and is now ready to do something about it. So I think it's it's very difficult when it comes to genocide. Like there needs to, I feel like 
it's such it's such a difficult thing to to get a state to admit that they've committed a genocide let alone then go the next step towards that and the time that that can all take you know it's almost like re-victimizing people if mm. at the age of let's say like 85 okay well here's like a payout and they may have struggled their entire life because of what happened to them when they were say in their 20s yeah so it's yeah yeah but that's maybe also why Germany is, is pioneering in that way mm -hmm. because it's just been made easier because you've done it before like you've been the bad guy <laughs> already anyway yeah. you know it's not like that big thing yeah so um like yeah you'll forget, forever be understood as the country that committed the holocaust like you there's <laughs> there, you will never be able to escape that that is just it so why not let's yeah like why not look at our colonial past as well like does it get any worse right <laughs> right <laughs> oh dear right yeah that might be easier than let's say like for the uk maybe oh gosh i don't i mean i i would hope that the discussion is is opened at some point but i I just think, where would you, where would you even start? Who would you start with? True. <laughs> and also these political decisions are not, I mean, they're not always representative of, of like the attitude in general mm -hmm. in the countries. Because I think when Germany started paying reparations, it wasn't like most of German citizens were supportive of that. Totally not. Yeah. I think uh, I, I just saw something that at that time, 1% of the population said that they were feeling guilty. Wow. And like, I don't know, but it was below 20% said um, that Jews should be compensated for what was done to them. But So the huge majority, um, yeah, wasn't really supporting reparations or anything. But then it just happened, and I think, um, and that that also has just changed, like the the general attitude towards it in society. Mm. Yeah, I wonder what if you did a survey, like in the UK, what people would think, like what percentage of people would be like, yeah, actually, we should, because there's such a a pride around having an empire still, or having had an empire. Mm. Ugh, yeah, gross. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I think yeah, but that's Germany. Like we've got nothing to lose. I don't know. Yeah, no, honestly, um, like, that actually has made a lot of sense to me now. And I'm just like, yeah, like if you if you have a president like the Holocaust, then what? Why? Like, why wouldn't you then look at other things? Yeah, but they seem to be a bit hesitant about it. Like what I wrote, read about Namibia um, is that they're also very careful with the whole terminology. Yeah. Yeah. I think they, I think they didn't use the German word for reparations, mm -hmm. but something like healing the wounds of the past, or something like that, like really okay. vague and poetic. Vague so and they poetic, were not really yeah. acknowledging <laughs> anything, you know. I think mm -hmm. that's also so like that might be a next step, hopefully, because that would definitely have to be a part of it. Yeah, definitely. Well, we'll just have to watch this space and see what happens. But I just. I thought it was a good idea to talk about today because I think I've just recently just it seems to be gaining a bit of momentum like this whole conversation around it and it's a genocide that I've featured in last season so 
it just goes to goes to show that even like a century later like there's discussions and things to to be had like it's a contemporary issue like just because the actual genocide is over doesn't mean that like the work is is over in terms of like yeah acknowledging acknowledging history like facing it like paying people their reparations trying to like reconcile for what's been done yeah i mean even the reparations and restitutions regarding the holocaust mm -hmm. aren't finished yet and there are still discussions about it and exactly. there's still art for example that hasn't been given back and, and, and stuff like that so it's just not over yeah. at all and maybe only now, like now that we're in third generation and whatever, also in those all those companies, um, especially if they're like family companies, I think only now the door opens up a bit that it's actually possible to talk about it. Yeah, like with our generation. Yeah. Like we can say, like there was um, quite a sensational story here recently about a bookshop that's um, been opened and somebody found out that the owner of the bookshop, her great-grandfather or fathers were Nazis <laughs> or something. And then there was this whole controversy surrounding whether she, um, like sh she's been able to found this bookshop and if it's like, if it, it would, if it was right for her to use her family money to do that, because essentially it's, you know, it's a family that has been seen to profit from the Holocaust. And uh, yeah. I think that conversation just has been overdue, but also maybe, yeah, it's just possible to have it now because, you know, if it's your great grandfather, it's much easier for you mm -hmm. to talk about it, to really take a hard look at history um, compared to as if it's your, your father. Yeah. But I know that we've, we've spoken about this before and like you, you were like mentioning that like a small bookshop in Kreuzberg isn't the problem. That's not the, you know, it seems like everybody's kind of jumped on top of her and made her like put out all these statements and all of this stuff, like kind of to apologize and like acknowledge everything when it's just like, as you've been saying in this podcast, like it's, it's like practically every company in Germany <laughs> that has some kind of connection. So we don't need to be yeah. making an example about specifically because also her bookstore focuses on minority authors specifically like so she's even doing a very very good thing it's not like she's I don't know opened like some kind of bougie clothes shop like she's actually she's trying, not selling weapons yeah so. she's trying to like she's <laughs> trying to give like voices to like minority groups as well so she's doing good like good work but yeah everyone seems to have jumped on top of her and it's expect her to like uphold this um kind of blueprint of what should be done should you have family money that has come from somewhere not to yeah. yeah I think this really has to be put in perspective mm -hmm. because yeah I, I, I I've spoken now about all those companies mm -hmm. um I think anyway like I think we've like touched all all the bases of like kind of what I was interested in like just based off of yeah, yeah just based off of the fact that Germany is really opening discussions around colonialism right now so yeah it's really cool thank you for answering my questions and for coming back on the podcast yeah thank you for having me back on the podcast <laughs> and oh I do just want to say to everybody who's listening that Eva Eva's project voids 
is well in the work. I think we just we did say about it in the previous episode that you were on in the first season. Um, yeah. Developing an app, like so, it would be a tour about Jewish life in Berlin, um, and that's in development now. And hopefully, we'll we'll be seeing it go live soon. I hope so too. Yeah, you can see a lot of businesses that have been Aryanized in the meantime. Yeah. So <laughs> keep your eyes peeled. <laughs> But if you do want to um, kind of follow the progress of um, of Eva's work, then you can find her on Instagram, and it's just at Voids, isn't it? At It's voids underscore history. Voids underscore history. Yeah. So find her on Instagram and follow her. It's a really cool project. We went on, um, we were ma mapping out the tour the other day and it was, I, uh, I mean, I don't know a ton about Jewish life in Berlin and I had a lot of fun. Happy to hear. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's it for this week's episode as ever. Um, email me with any thoughts or any questions um, at you can find that what is it oh i've got my email address info at without the footnotes.org and you can also dm me at without the footnotes on instagram and that's everything for this week so i catch you next time ciao <laughs>